Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the living word of God for us today. I want to give a few uh, a thank you, if I may, uh, before we dive into this text. First of all, those of you serving in the Learning Center, wow, thanks for stepping up to serve, um, getting you know hundreds of volunteers stepping into the Learning Center classes to teach our kids. You've done that, and we are really, really grateful. I want you to know we do have one need, and this is the one area we've got a need, and someone may sense the Lord leading in this because we believe God gifts the body for the needs that are there. We do need help in the first service and the third service for sixth graders. If you want a challenge, <laughs> sixth grade, wow. Um, and God has put somebody, some people in this body to step in there. So I want to invite you to talk to the Learning Center about that. I also just want to say a word of thanks to... Um, uh, David and Michelle Arms, and why I'm saying that is, you know, I want you to know these beautiful pictures you see of this table on different um, programs each week. Uh, David and Michelle were gracious enough to uh, put their table on their patio together for us and allow us to take these pictures of, uh, of the table that we've used. Um, our, groups, you know, our group will be getting together here soon, my own fellowship group, and the good news for me is at least I get to eat at that table a lot, which is fantastic, so thank you to them. We're in the third of five messages. Okay, we got two more to go after this. The third of five messages, as the school year kicks off, Rob and I like to take some time to focus us on, on kind of the who, what, when, where, why, why we exist as a church, to take some time and say, what, what do we... What must we not take our eyes off of? What, what must we not forget? And that's a hard look at our mission and the discipleship pathway. We just looked at it. Now, rather than unpacking that word by word, phrase by phrase, we've decided let's go at it a little differently. And uh, I don't want to be dogmatic on this, but it's, I think we're going at it biblically in this regard. When God wants his people to remember something, he gives them a picture, an image, a symbol. Now, why does he do that? Well, he does that as we understand now because that's the way the brain works. Like God designed our brains that what we see, uh, we recall more than text that we read. So we said, let's look at the Bible and what's the picture God gives us? Well, that launched us on a biblical survey that began in Psalm 78 two weeks ago. And I started there because in that psalm, the people of God ask a question that frames the picture, if you will. And the question they ask is this, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Rob and I would contend that that is the question 
you and I ask every day of our lives in some way. This last week, something happened in your world and it didn't go well. Some of us are at places where I, you can't hold life together. Someone got bad news. We live in a fallen planet and fallen bodies and things have fallen apart. And when they fall apart, whatever the circumstance, wherever it is, this question rises up in us and, and it, we're wired in this way and it's, God, are you gonna come through? God, do you even care? God, will you provide what we need, I need in this, through this? And if we looked under those questions, you know what we would find we were asking? We, think, we would be asking God, can you spread a table in my wilderness? Question sent us all the way to Genesis because we wanted to make sure we see, saw it in its whole. And so we went to Genesis 1 and, and we noted in the garden, God spread a table for Adam and Eve. That's, that is what was there. It was, it, was a, it was a table he spread saying, I've given you all that you need, all the provision for you. It's here. And Adam and Eve looked at the table and what did they say? It's not enough. That, that's at the course what they did. It's not enough. And they, they ate of the tree that God said, don't eat from him. And the rest of the Bible, can I say this? It's, it's really reflected in Psalm 78. It's God's faithfulness. Here's the table and God's people saying, it's not enough. God's faithfulness, here's the table. And we say, it's not enough. It's, it's our unfaithfulness amidst God's faithfulness. <clears throat> Last week, Rob took us to Exodus 24, 1 through 11. If you missed it, I can't urge you strongly enough to watch it, listen to it. Because he took us to one of the strangest passages in the Old Testament and yet most significant passages and unpacked it beautifully to show us that right there as the nation came out of Egypt, God set a table for the 74 leaders of Israel. And this is a fascinating sentence. Exodus 24, he says this, and they saw the God of Israel. He did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. In this phrase, they beheld God and ate and drank. Now, how was it that those people, and they represented the nation, the leaders, could see God and live? Track with the biblical story. In, cha in, in chapter 33 in Exodus, Moses says, God, show me yourself. I want to see you. And God, sa God says this, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Why? Because there's a problem of sin. Uh, our, our, our rebellion against God that we carry in our fallenness, our sin cannot enter the presence of God. So you can't see God and live. And yet these men, it says they, they ate and drank with God. This is a, this is a picture, by the way, of, of intimacy with God. Well, you got to remember what Rob talked about. What did Rob show us? You got to remember what Moses did before those elders went up. And what did, the, what did they do? Moses kills these animals. And he takes the blood and he sprinkles some on, this is, this is representing the altar, this thing of this today, those of you on that side, this stool over here. He sprinkles some on the altar and then he sprinkled the other on the people. Well, what was that about? Well, the people are, are sinful and the wages of sin is death. We, we know that from, from the New Testament. 
And so sin had to be dealt with. And so what God determined was, you've got to kill an animal unblemished, okay? Uh, and, and take the blood of that animal because life is in the blood and that blood sprinkled over the people and on the altar. And in this way, okay, the people's sin is covered over. And so, so with that blood shed, now God and the people can be together. Now, did that animal do anything that deserved death? No, that's the point. No, the animal didn't, but, but there needed to be a substitute for the sins of the people so that the people could be with God and live. And that's exactly what Moses did in that story. The Old Testament sacrificial system is always altar table. Altar table. The table being the picture of God in relationship with his people and people in relationship with each other. Now, in the Old Testament, and what Rob described is that sin's covered for a time. So they had to keep doing those sacrifices. The whole Old Testament, okay, these sacrifices, and the rest of the whole Old Testament, God's preparing his people for the ultimate sacrifice for their Messiah, for the Savior. Now, with that as introduction, here's what, we, here's what we're going to do in the next few moments. And, and it's, gonna, it's not going to be long or super in-depth, but it's going to be an overview of sorts. Um, we're going to put away the wide-angle lens, okay, that Gosh, this, this there's a table of God throughout the whole Bible. We're going to put away that wide-angle lens, and we're going to put on the telephoto lens, and we're going to look at the table in the New Testament. And it makes sense that if God does not want us to forget this, he would give us a very clear picture. So with that, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. This is what Devin just read. We're going to be in verses 14 to 20. Some of you familiar with uh, uh, church father Augustine who said uh, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Uh, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What, what, what Augustine was, was explaining to us is this. The Old Testament, okay, the, the Old Testament foreshadows what the New Testament is going to make super clear. That's the Old Testament. So then when you get to the New Testament, we find, oh my goodness, what was fuzzy and not clear in the Old Testament is really clear now. It's revealed. We see what all this meant in the Old Testament. In Luke 22, uh, I really believe this. It's like the fuzziness of the Old Testament or the, 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 the mysteries that were not super clear to see Oh my gosh, God gives us a picture in like 5K Ultra HD. It is just brilliant that he gives us this picture and it's one, of course, he does not want us to forget. I've chosen Luke's passage. This is, by the way, 
you know, where, where, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. No surprises there. I've chosen Luke, though, because Luke, of all the gospel writers, you all, he talks more about the meals of Jesus than all the other writers. And it's been thoroughly researched. You can look at sermons. You can look at uh, uh, commentaries on this where he covers 10 meals of Jesus. There's none more significant than this. Franciscan author Robert Karras said this in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And we are at a meal with Jesus in these moments. There's, I hope you feel it as we get through this, the freighted significance and meaning and consequence of this specific meal. It's verses 14 to 20, and it's in two parts. It's real simple. We're gonna look at preparation and participation. Preparation and then participation. Preparation, verses 14 to 18. Follow along in your Bibles. And when the hour came, he, that's Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this. And divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Y'all, one of the things that Rob and I, and I'll borrow this phrase, earnestly desire for us, for myself, for us, is that we would read our Bibles and we would do so with a you know, a profound and a deep appreciation and understanding of the whole so that when we read a particular passage, we know how that passage fits into the whole. Uh, Lisa and I went to a movie last night um, and, and it made me think, you know, can, can you imagine going to a movie and missing the first 10 minutes and then coming back in and catching four or five minutes, but then having to go back out and the whole movie, you're in and you're out, you're in and you're out. And you know what? You just happen to miss the ending. And then you're going home and you turn to your friend and you say, I didn't even like that movie. Really? Why didn't you like it? I didn't understand it. Really? No shame in this, okay? But let me say this. Many of us read our Bible like that. We do. You know, we say, I'm going to read my Bible. And you read a verse and you read a and then, you kinda, and then we kind of go, that didn't make sense. I don't know, that didn't really help me today. That, it's like going in and out of a movie. And, and, and we come back from it and we go, you know, the Bible just doesn't make sense. And well, of course it doesn't make sense because you just read this little part of it, but do you understand the Bible while 66 books is one book? And, and when you understand the whole story, see, then when you read a small part of it, you're able to connect all the dots. It's like, whoa, that is, okay, it's part, that's that part of the whole story. And I'm, I mean it when I say this. Um, I would pray we would get to the point that when we, as a people of God, read our Bibles, it's like going to a movie we've seen a hundred times. And you go in the movie and you know what's coming. You, let's get right up. You know, and you know the whole story. And you never get tired of it. Why? Because the Bible yields its fruit to those who are diligent in it and who know the whole story. I mean this in ways you can never exhaust. You'll see Bible verses and passages that 
light your heart up in ways you never thought they would. Now, why am I saying all this about understand the whole story so we see a little? Because we just read four verses. But do you know what's contained in those four verses? It's like the whole Bible's in there, y'all. It's, it, it's all there. Lord, what do you mean? Well, Jesus mentions this Passover meal. And if we don't know what the Passover meal is, then we don't, then we'll just read that and move along. They knew what the Passover meal was. And I want this morning, look, just relax and, and, and just listen here. You don't have to take any notes, but I'm going to use the stage almost as a whiteboard. And we're going to look at Old Testament, New Testament. And this is, a, this is a flyover, but it's so critical. He's talking about a Passover meal. Y'all, if we took our Christmas meal and our Thanksgiving meal and multiplied their significance by a thousand, it wouldn't have the meaning that the Passover meal has for them nor for us. That's how important it is. Divide it like this. Imagine this is the middle. And so this side is the Old Testament and this side is the New Testament. He says, I've earnestly desired. It's um, with desire, I've desired. It's, it's the way the Greeks would intensify the emotion I really have been looking forward to this meal. And we want to understand why. Why this meal and why this particular Passover? Go to the Old Testament, the Passover meal. The Passover meal was celebrated to commemorate the, the Jews in bondage to Israel and God brought them out. So we got to get that history in our mind that God formed this, was forming this nation and they were in bondage in Egypt. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They were mistreated. It was bitter. It was awful. And God decided it was time that he was going to deliver them from bondage. And so you know the story of Moses and these miracles and God's mighty arm. And right the, the night of the, the next morning, they're getting out of there. That night, he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have every Jewish family kill a lamb... Okay, And then you're going to take that blood of that lamb that has no defects. So that lamb didn't deserve to die, right? You're going to take the blood and you're going to put the blood on the doorpost of your home. Just picture your door frame and you put blood up here. And so what's going to happen is because all of the Jews are going to have blood on their home, their door frame, they are in a picture like they're under the blood of this lamb. So the death angel is going to pass over all of Egypt and all the homes. And where there's blood, he's not gonna, there'll be no death. But where there's no blood, it'll be death. And every firstborn in Egypt was killed that had no blood over them. You see this picture that, 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 that God has given them is you kill this unblemished lamb, the blood covers over you and you don't experience death. And, and you're gonna take that lamb, okay, that blood, you're gonna eat it. Now think about this. Kill the lamb, the blood, and then have a meal. <laughs> Here's a pattern going on here. And um, you're going to eat this meal with, with unleavened bread because you're going to leave in a hurry. The bread didn't have time to rise. You're going to eat bitter herbs because it's going to remind you of your bitterness and bondage, etc. that I brought you out of freedom. You're going to have this meal. You're going to do this meal every year at this time. And y'all, we're talking... Over thousands of years, they do this meal, this Passover meal that celebrates their deliverance from bondage. There are two 
great salvations in the Bible. And if you just hang on to these two, a lot of the other stuff will come together. And the first one, y'all, is their deliverance from Egypt. And all the historical events, okay, they're not happenstance. They have meaning, and they're actually pointing towards something. Remember, we're in the Old Testament, and the rest of the Old Testament, they're killing these animals, they're killing these animals to cover their sin. Now we get to Jesus, and Jesus is, we're now New Testament, and Jesus is looking back at that Passover meal, and they're actually celebrating a Passover meal in this moment. Now connect these dots. They, by the way, they don't. The disciples that are right here in the room, they don't get it right here, but they will, okay, they will. But Jesus is trying to help them understand these fundamental truths. It's time to be delivered from sin. The time has come. Way back in Genesis, you remember God said, I'm gonna send, there'll be a man born of a woman, he'll crush the serpent's head. I mean, that's, you talk about fuzzy and not clear, well, now it's really, you know, it wasn't to them yet, but it's for us, it's really clear. Oh my goodness, Jesus is the man born of the woman and he's gonna crush the serpent's head. How? By death. What? By his own death, he will crush death. And he's trying to, he's, he's telling to them now, that meal that we've been doing for a thousand years, it's me. And so I will suffer. I will be killed. What did John say of Jesus? John the Baptist, behold, the, son of, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is getting ready to shed his blood. Jesus is the lamb, okay? He's not an animal. He's the God man. He's gonna shed his blood. And then he's gonna present them with this memorial, as, as we believe I'll talk about in a moment, to, to say, if you trust in what I've done, your sins are forgiven and you are Set free from your sin forever. Bondage to Egypt, bondage to sin, deliverance by God through the death of a lamb, deliverance by God through the death of a lamb. Oh my goodness. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah said, there's coming a day when God's gonna make a new covenant and he's gonna give a new heart to his people. New Testament, Jesus says, what I'm doing right now is I'm cutting the new covenant in my blood. Oh my goodness, this is it. Through Jesus, we're gonna have a new heart. We sang these songs about the spirit a moment ago and, and, and Luke picked them on purpose because now the Holy Spirit's gonna live in us, indwelling us in the new covenant with God. This was the Birth of a nation. Can we say this? And in the New Testament, we see the birth of the church. Does this make sense? Now, I'm telling you, if you just hold on to those two, a lot of the Bible will begin to make more sense to us. Let's look at the text itself. It says he took a cup, and I want you to note, I hope you did notice this, that when we do the Lord's table, we recognize, here's the cup, my blood, here's... Here's the bread, and then here's the cup, my, my blood. There's a cup and the bread. But in this text, do you notice this? There's a cup, and then there's gonna be the bread, and then there's gonna be the cup. You see that? So we go, well, what's going on here? Well, don't forget, don't forget this, that they're celebrating a Passover. The Passover is very regimented. 
there are four cups that the Jews take in the Passover, even to this day. So there were four cups they were taken, and we think this, we don't know for sure, but maybe that first cup that he started describing here, this isn't the Lord's table cup yet. This is the, probably the first cup. Maybe that after the blessing, they take a cup. And then, and then there's a story, and they recount the story. Our fathers were in Egypt in bondage, and God delivered, so they recount the story. They take up, then they, they have a meal, you all, and then they take another cup. And then the final blessing, so there's four cups. So don't get confused on this. Jesus is reinterpreting this Passover. Does that make sense? He's, he's reframing re, uh, the whole Passover meal. So he takes this first cup, and they, sh- they actually drink from the same cup. They share it. That's all preparation. And now the participation. Look at 19, all the way to 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now there's the third cup in the passage, but here's the cup of the Lord's table. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten. Y'all, the Lord's table, even in the early church, it was a meal. (laughs) So they they had a meal. And then they take the cup, and he said, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here's Jesus instituting what we today know as the Lord's table. Paul will expand on it in 1 Corinthians and reframe. He says, this is what I received from Jesus, and it's what we do when we take the Lord's table. Let's say a few things about this. He's holding unleavened bread in his hand. He gave thanks, he broke it, and then he gave it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm not gonna dive into all of this you know, in super detail, but just to say this, you know, we believe the bread is symbolic. Now, many of you come from a Roman Catholic background and, and the Catholic church believes that that bread in the hand of the priest becomes his literal body. We do not believe that is what the Bible is saying here. And I would offer a few, a few reasons for that. Number one, you know, Jesus, he uses figurative language in other places. I mean, we know in the gospel, he said, he'll say, I am the door. I am the true vine. No one looks at him and goes, you don't look like a vine. Man, well, you don't have, and and I'm, I'm not being super silly on that. I'm just saying it was metaphoric. He was saying, I'm, I'm like, a tr- like a vine. I'm like a door. And in the same way here, uh, there's no reason we believe, and, and many, you know, the Protestant church believe, that it's not that he becomes, uh, you know, that that bread becomes Jesus. No, think about what they were seeing. Think about they're sitting at a table and Jesus holds this piece of unleavened bread. The bread is not him and he is not the bread. Right? I mean, he's, he's got a body. And by the way, the Bible says his body is at the right hand of the throne of the Father even now. Okay, They're distinct. And so the, the, the bread is symbolic of his body. The same way when he takes the cup, he's saying this, this wine is symbolic of of my blood. It does not become literal blood by a priest or by anyone. It's, it's a memorial and it's symbolic. You may recall Jesus' words in John. Now, there's a big section on this, but I'm just gonna give you a little piece of it. John 6, 52. It says, the Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because he had said, unless you eat, eat me, you know. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, well, let's, let's take Jesus at his word, but let's also understand when we say that we interpret the Bible literally, you understand we interpret the Bible in terms of its literary functions. That's what, you know, when Jesus says, I'm the door, we don't say literally he's a piece of wood stuck together to block an opening. It's a metaphor. And when Jesus says this here, literally says this, it's in, in its literary context, it's a metaphor. And in its context, it's a metaphor. Why do I say that? Because you always look at the Bible and say, not just what one verse say, what does is, what is the context of the verse say? And you know what the context of this is? The whole context, if you read it, John 6, he's saying to them, believe in me. Believe that I am the son of God. It's all about belief. And then he uses this metaphor, a strong metaphor to be sure eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's easy to see why early Christians were, honestly, they were degraded as cannibals. Because they would say, oh, they eat. No, they don't. No, we don't. Also, take the context of the book. Let's, let's, what's the book of John about? Well, John tells us in John 21, he says this, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He couldn't be any clearer there. He's not saying, it's clear he's not saying, you're going to eat the literal body of Jesus and drink his literal. He's not saying that. It's about belief. It's about trust. When one eats the bread and drinks the wine, we're physically embodying what we believe. I can't live without Jesus. I trust that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me. I believe Jesus was buried and dead and rose from the grave for me. Paul will come along and tell us as well, when we take the Lord's table, we remember that deliverance. We go to the Old Testament, we remember, oh, people were in, we were in bondage. We remember that we're in bondage to sin, but God's delivered us. We remember that Christ came and died in our place. What I'm trying to help us understand is this. There's a table that runs through the Bible. And the table represents the very heart of God. And this, if you get nothing this morning, get this. Let me tell you why you're on the planet, why you're created, who you are, where you're going, what it's all about. Communion with God and communion with each other. That's what God did. That's what, that's what we're made for. It's our purpose in life. And God sets a table to, to, to make it possible for us to be at the table with him. And in this table, what the whole Bible says is this. Jesus is the host and he's the meal. He's the table. What do you mean he's the table? I mean... When God spread the table in the garden, it's Jesus. When the 74 went up on Mount Sinai, it's Jesus. When David said, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, it's, it, it's Jesus. <laughs> Everything points to Jesus. The person and work of the Son of God. Close your Bibles. 
We're not done, but I just need, you can close your Bibles because we're gonna apply this. I'm gonna invite the band to come back out. We are, we're gonna come to the table. So let me say a few words, if I may. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I want you to hear this. Being at the table with Jesus and with each other is Jesus' greatest desire fulfilled. He so earnestly longed for it that he gave his life. There is no greater love. I want you to know that our place at this table is not based on our sinlessness, but on his. You know who's at this table? And you're gonna, we're gonna be at the table in a moment holding the bread and the cup. Here's who's at the table. Liars and thieves, idolaters, adulterers, murderers, the proud, the arrogant, the selfish, lusters and fornicators, addicts, schemers, and every unhealthy Enneagram number at their worst. <laughs> That's who's at the table. You may be at this table or you may be hesitant to come to the table. Now listen, I'm, ta I'm talking to you who have put your faith in Christ. So if you've placed your faith, if you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, do you understand there's blood on your doorpost? That's Old Testament. It's better. The blood of Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin. That's the answer. So if you've trusted Christ and you, you know you, you might say well I don't know if I could take the table tonight today I mean I, you, you don't know what I did this last week I know what you did last week or you may say I don't you don't know what I did last night or I know what you did you sinned <laughs> because you, you won't go through a day without sin sin's not that you robbed a bank sin is any variation to the molecule that's not holy I can't hardly breathe without sinning, right? In thought or whatever. And so, yes, you sin, but we come to the table because what we believe is Jesus paid it all. All my sin has been paid. And if it hasn't, we're in trouble. But here's, here's what we know. Here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus rose from the grave. Men and women, the resurrection is the validation that the payment was accepted, that God said, it's done, it's been paid for. And Jesus burst from the grave for he had no sin of his own. If you've put your trust in Christ, take the bread and cup. If you've not, why not believe in Jesus right now? Why not? If there's any inkling in you of, I think I believe Christ did what he did. If that's happening in you in this moment, it's not because of me, it's because God is opening your eyes. Otherwise, you would have no desire to know God. But if there's a desire in you to trust him, then trust him. And you can tell him, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried and you rose again and you did it for me. Believe right now. And boy, when that bread and cup comes, take the bread, take the cup, and let that symbolize your belief in Christ.
Now, here's some, something I, I want to say, and I don't often have time to say it, but I do this morning. Some of you, you know, if you don't know Christ, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, but if you've not placed your faith in Christ, then it would be, it would not be integrous of you to take the bread and the cup, would it? Because you'd be doing something that's not true of your heart. And I have wrestled with, Rob and I have talked about this. We have prayed about this. We're going, how do we, how do we celebrate this table? But those who don't know Christ, how do we do it in a way that doesn't make them feel awkward? And you know what we've come to? We don't. I can't. I cannot remove the awkwardness you may feel in a few moments. When in this room, many of us will take the bread and cup. And all I can say to you, if you don't know Jesus, is I plead with you to know Jesus. And all I can say to you is, it would be wrong of me not to tell you the truth. And the truth is, until you put your trust in Christ, you have no seat at the table. And, and, and us taking the bread and cup, I want you to know if you don't know Christ, it's, it's, not, it's not to put, make you feel awkward. It is to say to you, we believe it. We want you to believe it. And we love you enough to tell you. So that's all I'm gonna offer you. You know, if, if you don't know Christ, I'd plead with you to trust and believe. I want all of us to stand. I'd like the ushers to begin passing the elements. And as those elements are passed, let's stand in this silence for a few moments and reflect on this truth that, that in the table, it's always preceded by the altar, Right? In the Old Testament, the altar was covered with blood. In the New Testament, there is no more altar. There's a cross, and it's covered with blood. But, but it doesn't have to keep being covered with blood because it's covered with the blood of Jesus, the God-man, the righteous one who had no sin. It's always altar, table. In the New Testament, cross, table. Take the bread, take the cup, hold them for a moment. I'll give us one last word, then we will receive them to ourselves. some of those are still being passed if I may say just a few more words before we receive that altar table uh, the altar mm, this is a the, the altar was a place of great contrition repentance sadness healthy grief when we come to the New Testament come to the cross, right? This is the, Jesus died 
in our place. We are in this, what we're getting ready to do, what I want to say to you is this. We're not at the altar. We're not at the cross. We're at the table. Let me put it, let me put it to you in, in our New Testament evangelical terms. Right now, what we're getting ready to do, we are not at Good Friday, you all. Where are we? Easter. So, so when we take the Lord's table, there's room and appropriate reverence. But y'all, it's Easter. You know, we're at the table. You know, this is the time we, we, we remember the, the risen Jesus, right? And, and we, we tend to take the Lord's table. I mean, that's just how we've taught you and we've done it. We kind of... And it's a celebration at the table. And I know we've got to grow in this, but I just want us to understand biblically, we are not at the altar or the cross. We're at the table. So here's how we're going to take this table. I'm going to have you turn in a moment to someone nearby, one or two people, just say this. I want you to say this to them. He is risen. And you're going to say, he's risen indeed. Because it's the Easter greeting. But it's, listen, He's risen, right? So you're going to turn to a couple people. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. And after you've said that to a few people, then take the cup. Take, take the bread first and then take the cup in celebration. All right, let's turn to each other now. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's what this table is.
I want you to know I didn't miss a very specific, two specific statements Jesus makes in that passage, and I want to recall them for you. You remember, he makes this statement, I will not eat of this meal until it comes to its fullness of my kingdom. And then he says, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine until it's fulfilled in my kingdom. Do y'all remember that? And so what, what, what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us this. Life with God and with each other right now, made possible by the shed blood of Jesus, is life indeed. But there's more. <laughs> That's what he's saying, y'all. There's more. See, because even today, we experience life with God and others, but you know what? We're in broken, fallen bodies on a broken, fallen planet. There's still death and pain and loss and hurt. And what Jesus is saying is, because of my death and resurrection, you can know there's coming another table. There's another table. It's in our future. And it's as sure as he came. He's coming again. And then, you'll recall, Isaiah said, Death is swallowed up, tears wiped away with God, with each other. No presence of sin. Hallelujah, right? We're in this series called A Generous Table. And I want you to know as I send you out where even that title came from because it speaks to us. I was reading a magazine and, and they were interviewing a world-renowned uh, sculptor, artist, interior designer, set designer. Her name's Michelle Oker Donner. And they asked her multiple questions and I was fascinated when they asked her this question. They said to her, you know, this is world-renowned interior design and everything else. She said, they said, well, what makes a house a home? Guess what her answer was. A generous table. Why a table from Genesis to Revelation? Because God's desire is for us to come home. Home in Christ. Amen. God bless. You are dismissed.